I'm Megan Rosenthal. And I'm Alexis Lee. And this is the Mayo Lab Podcast. Uh, well, welcome back to the Mail Lab podcast, everyone. We're really excited to have Dr. Sina Haynes here with us this week to talk a little bit about success and its good parts and its not so good parts. But before we jump into that particular conversation, I just want to give uh, Dr. Haynes a chance to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about who she is and what she does. Uh, thank you so much, Megan, for inviting me to be part of this podcast. And the meaningful conversations happening around mental health, stigma, substance misuse disorders, and other critical and important topics to help support well-being and resilience. Uh, I serve as Director for Professional Well-Being and Belonging here in the School of Pharmacy and at the University of Mississippi and lead faculty champion for well-being and resilience in the Office of Well-Being at UMC. My role is to help support learners, so that's students, residents, graduate students, which I'm so excited to work with now because I hadn't before, Mm -hmm. but also our staff and our faculty. But I also want to share with your listeners that my health professions career started as a dietitian. It was born from my own personal struggles with weight and the stigma associated with it as an adolescent. Mm -hmm. My teenage years were filled with difficulties due to strained relationship with my father. I was born with learning disabilities, placed in special ed classes, uh, all the way through with after school tutoring till middle school. Mm-hmm. And I personally faced fears and feelings of not fitting in with my peers, which led me down a path of overeating. So food became my, a way to console myself, to help fill the void and bury my emotions. And I ultimately felt very isolated and alone. And it really took years of self-discovery and healing my wounded child, working with a counselor to tame my inner critic, my judge of which we all have, Mm -hmm. who said I'm unworthy of success to challenge my own mindset, my beliefs and assumptions formed much early in my life. And in the years that followed, I immersed myself in lifestyle medicine, growing my knowledge, skill and ability. And this journey of self-development to what led me to become a dietitian in hopes of paying that forward to others. And it was really during my time, during my education that I discovered this opportunity to combine the PharmD and the RD down a pathway that took me with great interest to explore this relationship between behavior modification and chronic disease, Hmm. synergizing this non-pharmacotherapy with pharmacotherapy. It really excited me and furthering my education through the doctorate in pharmacy and residency training to specialize in ambulatory care practice. So I've never really left academia since completing residency. I've had many blessed opportunities in my academic career, but my greatest joy now is in supporting clients, people I coach, whether it's individuals or teams, reaching their well-being vision and career aspirations, drawing upon the field of positive psychology, appreciative inquiry, and motivational interviewing as well as cognitive behavioral therapy and reframing techniques 
I like to think of myself as the guide on the side. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, and thank you for providing that context and, and kind of like of your total background, because I think that and we've talked about this lots um, on this season of the Mail Lab podcast, that that context matters and informs and influences all of the kinds of decisions that we make, um, you know, every day in our current life and, and the kinds of decisions that we make into the future. Um, so as we alluded to at the top of the show, we're talking we're here to talk today about success um and and like i said it's good pieces and it's bad pieces so from your perspective and in thinking through all of the different hats you have worn in your career to date could you talk a little bit about about what you think success means from your perspective um and then we'll dive a little bit more into some other questions that we've got around that topic Yes. Now, I think in order to bridge to what you're asking, I just have to begin with a question because I think it'll already drive the point Mm -hmm. home or at least part of what the problem is around success. So how many of us work so hard to reach a goal in life only to find that once we cross that finish line, we're filled with depression, maybe even some stress sources, right? Hello. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For that happiness and satisfaction. And then we just think, okay, we got to move on to the next thing. It's almost right. like whether we achieve what we're striving for or don't, it has a similar result. Mm-hmm. You know, this overdriving us, this misconception that success is a sole metric, like winning versus losing in order to attain specific goals or the idea we have to keep striving again. Moving on, never celebrating or savoring this hustle to holism mentality mm-hmm. that I think we all commonly suffer from. Mm-hmm. And that is because we all share similar fallacies of thought. Okay. There are many cognitive filters, these mental filters that we all have, which can be influenced by numerous factors, emotional influences, some genetic, we have a genetic set point, life circumstance certainly influence us. We also have self-limiting beliefs and assumptions that we make, mm-hmm. but it could also be social pressures. And there's two fallacies that I think really impact people's views of success and they're unaware of them, these mental filters. One of them is the arrival fallacy. And I alluded to this in my kind of question Mm -hmm. asked. And it's the arrival fallacy is a false assumption that when we reach a goal, we're going to be happy forever, that we have some degree of enduring happiness. And this is um, actually a term that was shared by, you may have heard of Tal Ben-Shahar. He's a Harvard-trained positive psychology expert. And he has talked quite a bit about this false fallacy that we wear around success. The second is effective forecasting or this mental contrasting that we commonly do where we think if we could predict, you know, this success that I'm striving for, when I have it, when I get it, I will be happy. Or Mm -hmm. if I have this, when I have this, if only I had that we're driven by the idea that we could predict how success will make us happy. So similar, but they are subtly different, Mm -hmm. but they don't serve us well mentally, emotionally, physically. Sure. Any 
sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think one of the best examples, at least in my own life, of that experience was um, defending my dissertation, right? So, like, for those of you who all don't know, to finish your PhD, to get those letters after your name, you basically have to write a book or a giant book of all of this research that you've conducted right um and then before they give you those letters you have to sit in front of a peer uh, audience of smart people who ask you hard questions and then at the end of that you get those letters after your name right Mm -hmm. and so of course there's a lot of work that goes into that like years and years of study and all of these different kinds of things and i remember getting the passing grade at the end of that at the end of that defense and feeling like ugh. Because I had thought about it, like, oh, this is going to be this huge deal. I'm going to be a PhD and my first PhD in my family and all of these crazy things. And then I'm like, wah, wah. Like, it was so <laughs> uninspired at the end of that. And then, of course, I felt kind of stupid for being like, no, this should be a really big deal. But I don't know how to feel happy about that. Because now I'm like, okay, now what? What's the next thing that is on my horizon to, like, achieve success, whatever that ended up looking like. And if you'd asked me at that time, I had literally no idea what success actually entailed, but it did entail doing more stuff, more work of some kind. And everyone has a similar story, whether it's the PhD, tenure, right? Achieving Mm -hmm. tenure. For me, it was the residency and other, other Mm -hmm. milestone achievements in life. They all fall short of providing permanent happiness mm-hmm. you know we we have other joy choices in life but yet we we keep striving for the belief that these milestones of achievement will lead to permanent satisfaction and just right. we're not engineered we're not encoded in that way right right could you provide because i think i appreciate the distinction that you're making between kind of the 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 fallacy that you talked about and this idea that we are um that we can't predict what was is going to create happiness so what's an example of us or me or you or any human being like being really bad at that prediction piece because i also i think i think that distinction is really important but i can't think of an example my myself off the top of my head so you know the predicting forecasting is again whether good or bad actually Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. both directions we think the idea of achieving something will provide that sustenance and that permanent or enduring satisfaction when it's fleeting. It has a honeymoon period. It's not to say that we don't celebrate, but it's probably not enough. And then we're, we are of the mindset that we think what we need to do is just keep striving for the next thing. It's sort of like right. even in your comment, mm-hmm. okay, I did this. I just accomplished this. Mm-hmm. What now? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we feel almost like we're languishing here in this space of not knowing what's calling for us next and not truly, truly celebrating, savoring and recognizing all that it took for you to accomplish it. But we also do similar with things that you would perceive to be negative. We think, Mm -hmm. you know, for I talk to our students a lot about this because they focus on grade currency. Mm. right? Right. And it's the idea of, well, if I failed that test. And how I'm, how horrible that is going to be, and that it would have some permanence on them. Mm-hmm. You know, this it's a scarlet letter that you apply right. to yourself right. to say, I, I can't come back from that if that was to happen, or that will happen. You start telling yourself, you're forecasting it will. Right. So that's how powerful our mindset is around what we perceive to be successful and, you know, even what we don't. 
So do you think, based on kind of where we're going so far, do you think it's fair to suggest that maybe we have a faulty definition of success or a, a, a there's a mismatch between what we think we know or understand about success and what maybe success actually is from a wellness perspective? I think our view can be clouded. Mm-hmm. It becomes foggy because of these metal, meta, mental, sorry, cognitive filters that we all commonly wear and that are often are built from our environmental influences. Mm-hmm. But to that degree, yes. And we're, we also get caught up in some of the other influences I mentioned. So not our direct environment, but the kind of sphere of our environment. So when you mm-hmm. think about who we surround ourselves with at work, what we're looking at in terms of social media and Mm -hmm. this idea of success and others and how things look like to us as an outsider. I think that that too has um, an unhelpful and detrimental impact on our mindset and thinking about what success is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and let's dig in. So, you know, that the season, the current season of the, of the mail Lab podcast is really focusing on this idea of stigma and the negative impacts that it could have on how we, how we perceive ourselves, how we function within our family and our communities kind of circling out from there. And so could you start by talking about a little bit about what are some of the stigmas that you have kind of witnessed in working with students and faculty and all of the all of the spheres that you're engaging with folks around specifically focused on stigma. And I think you alluded to one with that scarlet letter of, oh, I got a bad grade. And for clarification, our bad grade for our pharmacy students often are things like an A minus or a B, not like I failed the test, but like I got a B. Um, so what what are some of those other examples that you you have seen in your in your work? Well, there certainly are many types of stigma, as you and your listeners know, that exist. And as a coach, I work a lot with self stigma, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is, you know, the what we say to ourselves, our thoughts, emotions, how we label ourselves. The idea of labeling ourselves in such a way that is hurtful, that produces feelings of guilt or shame, that we carry a high level of self-doubt, even though we're competent, right? Mm -hmm. So a student, like you just mentioned, who performs really well, has this self-stigma to think that they're not, or when they don't earn an A and they earn a B, the impact that that has on them mentally. Mm -hmm. So I think self-stigma is very real and we are shameful in a way that leads to more self-criticism or that we're deserving of criticism. We have a negative judgment of self. And there's the perceived stigma when you believe people around you Mm -hmm. are thinking that uh, you have some negative trait or a certain trait that leads you to feel unaccepted, you know, more of an out-group than an in-group mindset. So I think perceived stigma is another that comes up quite commonly. And this impacts not just the individual, but the family and the community Mm -hmm. that you are part of. So for my example, as I was vulnerable to share, Mm -hmm. I could think back to my own childhood experience around weight and the stigma associated with that, my learning disabilities and the stigma associated with that, and how that stigma that I carried about myself or perceived others to think of me, how that influenced me in a way to lead 
myself down a path of un, unhealthy and unhelpful coping strategies, how that affected my relationship with my family, mm-hmm. how that affected my relationship in the environment, in my community, leading me to withdraw, right? Mm-hmm. Leading me to isolate myself in a way that only became like that circular or continuous loop of of difficulty and hardship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that one of the things I wanted to, to dive in on there for a second is, you know, as we're engaging with other people who aren't us, right, who might be struggling in these kinds of areas, what are some of the, the things that you have witnessed as part of your coaching um, practice or as, as, as you did as an individual where people who have good intentions are actually making that self-stigma and those negative spiraling thoughts worse in, in engaging with people who are struggling with that? So I think um, it, it's quite common in individuals uh, that I coach and work with that they do have a, a very loud and proud inner critic. And mm-hmm. the judge that, that we all carry has different accomplices or different voices. So there's like the master ringleader and then there's these accomplices and there's mm-hmm. ways to to check in on, on what that might be. So one of mine to share is I'm an overachiever. And here we are talking about success, right? Mm-hmm. And so what does my overachiever, I call Gunner, you know, what does Gunner, what is Gunner pushing me towards? More towards than often away. And, right. and through that awareness, I can be more cognizant of what my judge and my accomplice is doing that is unhelpful. So it really is about understanding the voices mm-hmm. and hooking ourselves from those voices, knowing the source of where that comes from, and only really through dialogue and reflection and using reframing practices can we think about how to you know step away from that. Think mm-hmm. about your core values and how that really needs to direct our path, not just any goal for the sake of achieving a goal, but the source of which should come back to your kind of inner compass, I call the true north, and guiding people towards what that is first mm-hmm. so that the things that they are striving for is a reflection back of that. And our core values are not something we can accomplish. Your core values, if I have a core value of health, which I do, and that's part of what got me to where I am today, Mm -hmm. I can't say that I've hit health nirvana, right? Like I have had weight loss, I've sustained weight loss, I learned and educated myself and through training, the understanding of what quality nutrition is and how to put those practices to daily work So Mm -hmm. a goal might have been the weight loss, but my core value for health is saying that every day I have options and opportunities to live a healthier, more vibrant life. Right. Core values to me are what is more meaningful and guiding people towards that Mm -hmm. rather than focusing on a one particular achievement. You are listening to the Mayo Lab podcast. For more information and resources, visit themayolab.com. Now, back to the episode. 
Well, and I love that idea that you're talking about there with your core values, because that idea of values and what our values are has kind of come up a few times through this season. Um, and I know you and I have worked on this in the past. Full disclosure, Sina was my coach, and we had a really lovely series of se- sessions together to kind of help me work through some some professional development goals and things of that nature. And so could you talk us through, like if somebody who's listening wants to get a foot, toe, step in this direction of working through some of these things, how do you start identifying what those core values are? Because for me, at least anyway, I remember thinking about them and then you're prompting me to reflect on them. What I thought were my values weren't necessarily where I ended up landing after I started thinking about those ideas really carefully. And I think that that is something worthy of kind of digging into. So backing up, what, how do we start working on identifying what our core values are if this is a direction or a journey that we want to engage on? Oh, absolutely. Because to me, it's, it is even for me, is my true north. So I live mm-hmm. my values in action every single day. Mm-hmm. And it helps me discern in life what I choose to do, whether it's work mm-hmm. in the work arena or in the non work arena. Right. So, you know, there are, um, core value lists of core values that one can certainly look at and there's a reflective practice of mm-hmm. examining them in totality and, and moving through our prioritization so I can mm-hmm. guide an individual we might start with identifying 10 that speak to you speak your truth in a most meaningful way of who you are the essence of who you are and your ideal self and mm-hmm. what really matters to you and then we trickle it back so if you start at 10 we try and and wiggle it, and it's hard to move down to five. Mm-hmm. Um, and I leave it at five. Some leave it at three. I think five creates depth and breadth of who we are. And often, moving from ten to five is more feasible. And certainly, you see some common themes and trends start to emerge. Mm-hmm. But in complement to that, the other tool I often guide people towards, and you'll see alignment, is character strengths. And so mm-hmm. these character strengths are values in action. It is an assessment. Uh, probably people have heard of strength finders. There's mm-hmm. some, you know, lots of personality assessments out there. I'm partial towards this one. Well, first, it was certainly part of my coaching training. But there's actually more evidence to support the value of values in action or character strengths in action above strength finders, which does surprise mm-hmm. some individuals of how well researched the instrument and the assessment of its impact. And there's 24 character strengths that you will learn from, you know, top to bottom where you are, but they follow virtues. They follow, even if you think back to like stoicism and the wisdom of uh, ancient Greek and Roman philosophers that talk about virtues in life, you know, that again, ideal self and your character And I have clients or people I'm working with do that. And we look at the mirror together. Mm -hmm. And then from there, how does the core values, the foundation, so you think about a house, the foundation of who you are, guide you towards a vision of self, guide you towards your ideal self and what it is that you hope for yourself Mm -hmm. in some forward thinking, right? Future thinking, vision setting practice Mm -hmm. for some might be six months from now or a year from now. I have 
worked with people who are looking even beyond, very, very mm. future focused. Mm-hmm. That is the roadmap. I mean, that mm-hmm. vision statement, people might liken it to developing a personal mission statement, but it's still that roadmap of which we then have conversations that take us from that back to how do we move potentially back if it's further forecasting six months from now, what it is that you could be doing three months from now. And you probably remember this mm-hmm. coming back to what does that mean week to week? Right. Where the goals come from, but the goals are rooted back to the values. Right. Right. No. And I, I think the other thing of this, like, so I remember going through that process and I also remember that it was, hard to do and something that I was grateful to have a partner in working through that because because it is hard to reflect in that kind of way and see outside of yourself while also seeing deep inside of you and who who you are and what your values are um, to have somebody to reflect back to you and say well you know ask you tricky questions like is that really what you think because that's not connected to this other thing that you told me about over here and 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 to really needle through that was a really valuable process for me and then bringing it back as you said to those what are you going to do this week what are you going to do next week what are you going to do in six months three months six months and really have it be connected to tangible measurable outcomes because I think oftentimes at least for me in the past working through wellness goals of this nature um it was really easy to make it pie in the sky, right? Like, oh, well, future Megan, well, it'll be fine. She'll get there. But not really making that daily effort, as you talked about, in the direction of of what those goals look like. And I think this kind of comes back to, in my mind, at least anyway, and you can tell me if this is a little kooky, but comes back to our definition of success, right? Is this idea that it's achievable and and like, like you said, health nirvana, like it's going to be perfect health and you're going to get there and it's going to be just like, uh, angels and you know all of those kinds of things singing in the background um, when in fact it's just daily work and effort um, which feels way less sexy but is actually connected to probably better outcomes so I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that piece of it because that that's a disconnect between what we see oftentimes on social media and the perception of like wellness and all of those kinds of things versus maybe the the reality of of doing this stuff every single day? Well, I think when we have a mindset of, I have an attitude to be healthier, what can I do to be healthier? It is not necessarily limited to about weight. Mm-hmm. Like that may be one piece and that is meaningful to us mm-hmm. for numerous reasons, right? We think about chronic disease and and its impact when we know a 10% weight loss can have. And and you've talked about that with mm-hmm. your listeners already. So, you know, it's, there is a health implication and there's ways to live healthier that isn't limited to one particular goal. So how wonderful is it that we have the freedom and the expansiveness to design an experiment, right? I choose the term experiment actually with clients over goals because of mm-hmm. what goals does already to our mindset and pivot ourselves to think this experiment could lead to a, this experiment. And I can decide when this has become more of my way of being to move on to something else, all, all umbrella under this core value I have to live a healthier life. Mm-hmm. So I think it affords us more freedom, more creativity, the opportunity to use our strengths in ways that can end up headed towards or within this core value that is our compass in life 
But to know there's multiple ways that we can achieve this, mm-hmm. you know, sleep is another facet, right? We know that much of what we do is very interconnected. But when we have such a, a fixation on an outcome of one particular goal, and as if that's the only thing that matters, we're losing sight of so much more. Mm-hmm. The process of learning. Right. Well, well I think learn when we fail, right? So Right. Yeah. Well, that's exactly where I was going with this, right? Is it like I love the reframing of this is it experimenting with our, you know, wellness, whatever that whatever that is connected to our core value as you said, is that like how many times and I know many of our listeners have experienced this too. How many times have you started a wellness thing, whatever that is? eating better, exercising more, getting more sleep, drinking your eight glasses of water today, whatever that thing happens to be at that moment in time and have failed at it. And and then you have to have that conversation with yourself. It was like, well, I'm off the wagon for my diet this week. So if I have seven more cupcakes, ugh, no big deal. I'm just going to, you know, that's it. I'm done. Versus an experiment, which requires us to assess what went wrong, to think about you know, what what sequence of events led us to maybe the outcome we didn't want to achieve and then reflect backward on that and say, OK, if I'm going to ex- re-experiment and, and try to get to the outcome again, because we know experiments fail all of the time. That's the scientific process. Mm-hmm. Then you have permission to re-engage in that process without feeling like you're a bad person because it didn't go well the first time. Exactly. And what I would what I try and the, the mental muscle fitness that I work mm-hmm. with. Well, is to first say, and you might recall this, mm-hmm. when we revisit any particular goal, the first thing I ask is what went well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because what we, our nature mm-hmm. will, uh-huh, your mm-hmm. shape, our mm-hmm. nature will say, well, here's what I didn't do, or here's right. how I ended up. And that is still part of the learning, mm-hmm. but it's not where our mind should be first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there's always something to pull forward. There's a past strength, a past experience. Something that will trigger what went well to help massage. If if you're still, if it's still important enough, and most often it is, and you're confident that this is meaningful to you in this core value, then we can come at it from a different tactical approach together. Right, right. Yeah, I totally do remember that. I feel like I need a booster shot of I'm getting that booster <laughs> shot by extension right now. But I feel like, no, that that way of thinking um, is incredibly helpful to engaging in these kinds of activities because you're right. Our default is like, oh, I suck and I'm terrible. Um, and that really is paralyzing in terms of like making next steps to move forward, right? Because if you're suck and you're terrible and you're not worthy of achieving whatever objective, goal, core value, alignment that you're looking for, then that makes it really hard to move forward with with any kind of sense of purpose in that way, right? Um, well, and the other uh, thing I would just quickly say that yeah, your, yeah. your comment just is the core values are, you, are what's important to you. Mm-hmm. And it's what intrinsically motivates us, motivates us, which is far more leads us to enduring practices and rituals when we mm-hmm. believe they, they are helpful than anything extrinsic. So it's not about someone else saying, Sina, you should really lose some weight. Like that, I can appreciate that, right? When I heard that, but it was my own core value that drove me, that continues mm-hmm. to drive me intrinsically, and that's what leads to sustained behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really great observation too, right? Because what is a core value to you is not necessarily a core value to me, and that everyone can and should have 
different core values and how a core value manifests, even if we had the same core value of health, you and I, how health manifests itself to me is not how health would manifest itself to you, right? Mm -hmm. And so to assume that someone else's, I'm thinking particularly of social media, some of the, someone else's version of what health looks like in that space isn't necessarily what's right to me. And if I'm not in alignment with my own personal core value around that topic, um, then we're not going to be able to see sustained wellness long term, right? Because I'm out of alignment with what is actually matters to me. I might not care at all about weight or um, or outward appearance types of issues that, that might not be a concern to me, but eating well or being able to run after my dogs or to do some other piece of that could be really much more important to me. And if I'm not focusing on that piece of it, then I'm not going to make the time and effort, as you've talked about, that these activities require to sustain them for the remainder of my life, right? It's, there's not an end goal for for these journeys. That's correct. That, I love it. This makes so much sense. Thank you for oh, yeah. working through all of this. What are some other things that you can think about from all of the clients that you have worked with around kind of this this path and this process that we can start doing. So we've talked about identifying our core values. We've talked about kind of working through tangible, short and short, medium, long-term kind of goals and things that you're working towards. What are other things that we can do either for ourselves or in our families and our communities to be like making this better for everyone? Yeah. I have some like scattered thoughts on this kind sure. of, but I will try and land the plane. I think, yeah. you know, we, we, I think as a, as humans, as a society, what we consider success, mm -hmm. you know, so, so can we move away from material wealth or status or possessions, right? Like all the mm -hmm. things that we get caught up in that won't lead to sustained happiness, but mm -hmm. we get caught up in the trap of it. Mm -hmm. I think what we associate with success and, and, you know, what if when we meet someone new, we don't ask the first question out of the mouth, like, well, what do you do? Right. Right. So I think it falls into that. Like, what if we said, hey, Megan, so what do you do for fun or to relax? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What kind of conversation would we have with people that build relationships and helps us think about other aspects of life that reflect your core values and therefore our life domains? Right. Which is an mm -hmm. extension of that. How we what we choose to do with our time in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. I think. We also struggle with work as one container and for students too, right? Your work is your education and training, and that is a container of our lives. But as individuals, family units and communities, we're more than that one container. Mm -hmm. And so how do we make time and space and intention around other valuable and important life experiences. I've gotten on the play bandwagon. I bring this up in all my coaching experiences now is to inquire and actually get in and assess what people do for play in their lives because it's often mm. sorely lacking. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So it's about, you know, talk to me about your childhood and what did you used to do for, for play? And that's sure. an amazing experience to be with someone and hold that space and learn mm -hmm. about their whole body language changes, their face <laughs> lights up, laughter, right? The other sources of medicine for our soul. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about getting more expansive, knowing that through play, 
we get the benefit of the cognitive boost. We get the benefit of relationships. We find flow, mm-hmm. mastery experiences, which can have a dividend back on the work container of our life. But these are things that we can quiet our inner judge about to drop some of the feelings of embarrassment that carries us and not feeling that we can be vulnerable, mm-hmm. that we can exercise more self-compassion. That leads us to be more compassionate with others and better empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, that part of our brain where empathy lives is not when our emotions are hijacked. So right. we hijack our emotions about ourselves when we mm-hmm. get caught up in what we think we're not doing, mm-hmm. the success that we're not achieving. Right. So getting into the side of our being that operates from more peace, more groundedness, better clarity. And yes, it can impact work and productivity, but that's not the primary purpose. Right. And it helps us step out of these this success spiral thinking mm-hmm. that we're all patterned to be doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And when you talked about play, my mind immediately went to, uh, and this has been a recent thing, and I didn't even know this existed, but they have Lego. So when I was younger, Lego was what oh, we played yeah. with, right? Like all of the, all of it. And it was amazing things, cities that we built. Anyway, um, they have Lego for grownups now. So people of like my generation that had Lego when we were little, we introduced it first one, they have Lego for grownups. So you can like build these super crazy complex things and thousands and thousands of pieces of Lego. Um, but it's so much fun. And it feels, it felt silly, honestly, the first few like, um, sets that we got to to play with again but it was it is seriously so much fun to get back into that again and just sit for hours and just like put the thing together and then you have a tangible house or whatever you've built at the end of it um to kind of feel that sense of accomplishment because so much of our work uh, in an academic setting is you see the output of it maybe never um but or it's so far down the line from kind of like what you do day to day that it's really hard to see and feel like you're making progress towards something. So anyway, um, I was smiling as you talked about that because I was like, that's exactly what I was thinking about. It could have been a shared experience with someone Mm -hmm. doing this. There's that tactile part, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Around getting our hands into the matter and what that does for problem solving and clarity of thought, right? So many juicy benefits by taking however much time you did to play a little, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Engaged, yeah. enjoyment, like the essence of you is coming right there. Right, right. No, I love it. That is so awesome. Well, so we've covered, as we always do in these shows, a silly amount of ground, um, <laughs> but all really, really good stuff. What have we not touched on yet? Because all of our guests get the questions before we, we talk with them for this show. What, are, what is something that we haven't talked about yet that you think our listeners would be find beneficial or, or find insightful from our conversation today? I actually think I want to share a poem. Oh, okay. Please do. And I think it will resonate with your listeners. I know we have many, you have many parents mm-hmm. um, listening, right? So, the, mm-hmm. and some of may know this, but I think it really hits to the trap of feeling like we have to be extraordinary in our lives, that constant, mm-hmm. right? Hustle holism mentality. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to read this poem. It's called, Do Not Ask Your Children to Strive. Mm-hmm. And it's by William Martin. Okay. And here's what it says. There's wisdom here. Mm-hmm. Do not ask your children to strive. Do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. 
Such striving may be admirable, but it is the way of foolishness. Help them instead to find the wonder and the marble of an, of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples, and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand and make the ordinary come alive for them. And the extraordinary will take care of itself. That is a beautiful way to end this episode. Thank you so much, Dr. Cena Haynes, for taking the time to join us here today um, on the Mayo Lab podcast. And we look forward to having you all back here again for our next episode. Have a good one, everyone. Thanks very much, Megan, and everyone. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Mayo Lab Podcast. The Mayo Lab Podcast is produced by Dr. Natasha Jeter, Dr. Megan Rosenthal, Alexis Lee, Slade Lewis, and Hannah Finch. This podcast was recorded at Broadcast Studio in Oxford, Mississippi. The show was mixed and mastered by Clay Jones, and our original music was composed by Slade Lewis. The Mayo Lab Podcast is brought to you by the William McGee Institute for Student Wellbeing. For more information on the Mayo Lab podcast, head over to themayolab.com and follow us on social media at the Mayo Lab. If you enjoyed listening to the Mayo Lab podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this podcast. This podcast represents the opinions of Dr. Megan Rosenthal, Alexis Lee, and their guests on the show. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for the medical advice of a licensed counselor or physician. The listener should consult with their mental health professional in any matters relating to his or her health or the health of a child.